Hello, good morning, church. Thank you for joining us today online. Worship from home. Uh, yet again, we look forward to seeing you in person next week. But today is officially our first Sunday of 2022. And I'm beginning a new series today called Truth Over Trend. And I just want to begin 2022 understanding that truth is, is the foundation of everything that you and I uh, should put our hope in, put our trust in. And, you know, trends and beliefs and ideas come and go. And everyone inside the church and outside the church, uh, we tend to be influenced by these trends. You just saw the trends of worship music through the ages. I loved watching that. Uh, but trends are so powerful. And as followers of Christ, we should look to the Bible, not culture, not the latest trend, for direction and for purpose. So during this series, and especially during this sermon, we're going to take an in-depth look at why Scripture can be trusted, because I am, I am so excited to share this with you. The fact is, this is the living Word of God that is powerful. It is, it is literally alive. It is the breath of God. It is, it is accurate. It is true. And I have proof. So I'm going to share that with you today, the proof that this is the precious Word of God. Um, I hope that you've got your Bibles and your pens and your paper today because I'm going to give you a lot of information. I just want to have a sit down and have a chat with you, um, but I'm going to give you a lot of information today. Just if you've been on the fence wondering if this is truly God's Word or if it's just a collection of writings from men, I'm going to answer that um, not in a cliche way. I'm actually going to provide you proof today so you can walk away knowing that this is the Word of God. All right, uh, before we get into our text, our scripture today, and our, all of our points and what I want to share with you, at the end of today's message, I'm going to hopefully persuade you to participate in a 30-day challenge that begins next Sunday, and it is called the 30-Day Shred. In the 30-day shred, you read the Bible. <laughs> Listen to me. Don't turn me off yet. You read the Bible cover to cover from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation uh, in 30 days. Now, my family and some friends of ours, uh, we did this last year in January. We listened to it on audio, and I'm going to show you at the end of the sermon how to do that. Um, and a lot of it was just moving fast. Like, you, you don't decipher it, you don't analyze it, you don't ponder every word. Uh, the, the goal is not for you to digest the entire Bible in 30 days. It's just to get the Bible, the Word of God inside you in 30 days. And so it is a big commitment. It's not for the faint of heart. And if you get behind, you can just pick right back up the next day. Uh, we're not we're not going to be punishing anyone during this challenge, so you can feel free to join and, and fall off the wagon and jump back on if you need to. Uh, but I'll give you more information about the 30-day shred at the end of my message today. The title of my message today is The Authority of Scripture. It's the authority of Scripture because the Word of God has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, the three things that I want you to walk away with today that are very important, it's called the three eyes of Scripture. The three eyes of Scripture. And that is that we believe as people of God, followers of Jesus, we believe that Scripture is 
inspired, inerrant, and infallible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed, that's inspired. It is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We believe that the Bible is inspired by the breath of God. It is, it is directly from God himself, not man's interpretation of what God is trying to say. It is inspired. It is an inspired work of the Spirit. And then Isaiah 55, 11, we know that the Word of God is infallible. It is incapable of failing. Isaiah 55, 11 tells us, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. When God sends his word out, it will not it is impossible for it to return void. It is absolutely going to accomplish what he sent it for. And this is, this is why I'm constantly harping on us to, to get in the word. And when we have a, a need for peace or joy or what, whatever the situation is, find the scripture, find the promises from God because it has been sent out to you and it, and it is guaranteed to not fail. It will not return void. Scripture is inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant, there are no errors, and we're going to talk about that as well. There's a, there's a, a move, I don't know if it's a new move, or it's an old move, I don't know, but there's a move to discredit the Word of God, saying that there have been multiple translations, and, and there have been errors by the Roman Catholic Church, it's just on and on and on, and listen... The enemy would love nothing more for you and I to not be to for you and I to not be able to trust that this is the word of God. And the reality is, um, God is able to preserve His word for His people. So don't buy into the to the myth out there, the claims that it's been mistranslated, and you know there are there are some very small minor details. Um, here and there in scripture that may have been lost in translation, but it's nothing significant that's going to change the course of what God is trying to communicate. So uh, this Bible, by the way, your Bible was written by 40 authors, written over a period of 1,500 years. It has 66 books in the Bible, 66 books. And uh, humanly speaking, not not divinely speaking, but humanly speaking, the Bible was written by a very diverse group of people with various backgrounds. Um, you look at Paul, the tent maker. You look at Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, John was a fisherman. Uh, Ezra was a priest. Isaiah was a prophet. Uh, Moses was a shepherd. And Luke was a physician. And all of these people with such varied backgrounds uh, being moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote a book that has absolutely no contradictions. There are no contradictions in Scripture. Anyone that tells you there are contradictions in Scripture, they don't know how to read Scripture. And they're trying to decipher 
something uh, that clearly they are not using the lens of the Holy Spirit to decipher because God did not contradict himself. He is, in, he is incapable of contradicting himself. He is not a God that he should lie. Uh, but all of these varied people, over 40 authors, all of these different backgrounds, uh, what's interesting is they all contain the same perspectives. They all proclaim the one true God and the same way to salvation, Jesus Christ. God authored the Bible. Men wrote it with their hand. Uh, but we need to understand that this is God's revelation to us. It is not our description of God. Uh, a lot of people who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ think that this is somehow just um, a description of a religion, and that's actually not true. This is a, a letter from God to us. Why would God write a book in the first place? Well, it's, it's simple, really. It's self-disclosure. As in any relationship, the only way that I can get to know someone is if I tell them who I am, if I explain to them about myself. Um, I can't tell you who you are. You have to tell me who you are. And of course, of course, God would write a book so that we could know his thoughts on things, his assessment on things, and, and so that he could be known. You know, people often ask me what I think about a certain issue. Whatever the hot topic is of the day, right? Sex outside of marriage, tithing, whew, homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, abortion, race relations. Uh, the list goes on and on and on and on. As a pastor, people will often ask me my opinion and I appreciate the conversation, and I, I, uh, I think it's awesome that people would like to know what I think. But honestly, it just doesn't matter what I think. Uh, and that's what I remind myself often. That's what I, I tell other people often. Part of being a follower of Jesus means that I forfeit my right to have my own opinion on issues that God has already clearly spoken uh, clearly in the word about. I don't get to form an opinion. If you want to know what God's opinion is on the matter, it's, it's in the word. Simple. Um, now, if you, if you don't want God's opinion, or you're looking for an, an interpretation, you've read the scripture and you're like, surely it can't be that. Um, if you really just want to find scripture to back up what you've already determined in your heart to be the truth, uh, you will certainly find people all on the internet who will interpret scripture to justify your stance. Uh, but let me remind us all, there is coming a day where we will be held accountable before God uh, for the things that we believed, and not just the things we believed, but for the people that we allowed to pour into our life. You know, we won't be able to say, but God... Uh, I found this amazing YouTube preacher, Jimmy Joe Jackson, and everything he said seemed to make so much sense. Uh, it was He was wrong, and it was his fault. It's not my fault. It's, it's the fault of Jimmy Joe Jackson. And I, I think that God would tell us his response might be something similar to, um, if you had spent more time with me than Jimmy Joe Jackson, you would have known that Jimmy Joe Jackson was misrepresenting me. Um, so we have to be careful. We have to learn to read the Word of God ourselves, to dig into it, not to trust every person on YouTube, not to trust everyone with an opinion, uh, not even to trust your pastor 
to take everything that your your leader says, your pastor, anything on TV, take that, read it for yourself, digest it, form an opinion based on what the Spirit of God is saying. And uh, actually, starting next week, I'm going to teach you how to interpret the Bible because so many of us maybe don't read the Bible because we don't know how to interpret it. Or we find, we just Google a verse that matches what we want it to say and we stand on that and we totally ignore the context that is around the scripture. There's actually a little illustration that I love to show people. I've probably showed you before, uh, but if you take this, I'm drawing on a piece of paper right now. Uh, and I, I show it to you, um, and I ask you, what, what is this? You would say, six, unless I did this, right? Then you would say, oh, it's nine. Now, uh, psychology would say that we could see the same thing. You looking at it like this, see a nine, uh, but from my perspective, it looks like a six. And so psychology would tell us that Truth is in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, but that's not what Scripture says about truth. Truth is not subjective. It's not based on truth. is not based on our experiences, collective or individual. Uh, truth is not uh, based on our education level or our income level or where we're standing in life, right? What our lot is in life. Truth, we don't get to decide if it's a six or if it's a nine based on where we're standing, right? The scripture says uh, that truth is not in the eye of the beholder. Truth is in the mind of the pen holder, the person who wrote the number. Um, and actually, if we look at the back of this card, we will see that there's an arrow up. I kind of gave some direction as the author of that number. I gave some direction to what I meant to write. So if we face it up, then we know for sure that this is a six and it's not a nine. It's a, a six because context is everything. And if we just dig beneath the surface level and we find the context, we find the, the meaning from the spirit of God, from what God is saying all throughout scripture, then we can find what truth is. But we're going to have to go deeper than just showing up on a Sunday. If you want to know what truth is, you're going to have to go deeper than just listening to Stephen Furtick sound bites. Now, I love Stephen Furtick, but come on. Uh, he's, not, he's not going to get you spiritually mature just by listening to his 30-second clips on social media. You have to pick up the Bible. You're not going to get spiritually mature by sharing memes on Facebook that, you know, the footprints in the sand doesn't make you spiritually mature. Reading a devotional, you know, I, and I love me some good devotionals. Uh, but even a devotional is just someone else's interpretation of scripture. It's not sufficient study for a believer. It's, it's nice encouragement. It's nice entertainment as a believer. But believers should be opening their Bible and studying in depth what God is trying to say to them. There really is truth. So can we trust the Bible? Yes, we can. I'm going to give you several reasons why we can trust the Bible. All right, this is our proof. Number one, we can trust the Bible because of 
archaeology. There are a lot of places named in Scripture, uh, and the archaeological record backs that up. Sometimes the Bible names things or places that we've not yet discovered. Uh, particularly in the Old Testament, there are, there are names of towns or cities or collections that we've not yet discovered. Um, that is true. That is true that there are things here that we've not yet discovered. However, um, categorically, it may be stated that there has been no archaeological discovery that has ever controverted a biblical reference. So there's never been a discovery, an archaeological discovery, that goes against what Scripture is saying. So while there are places that haven't yet been discovered, uh, no discovery has ever contradicted what Scripture has said. The New Testament is very accurate, extremely accurate. Uh, John wrote about the Pool of Bethesda with five walkways, five entrances, and for years, decades, scholars you know, thought that didn't exist. They thought it was possibly uh, an allegory that he was sharing, uh, a parable of sorts. He thought it was symbolic, uh, figurative language. They didn't realize it was literal uh, until recently archaeologists discovered uh, that it was 40 feet below ground. After they had done some excavating, they found the Pool of Bethesda with the five walkways and entrances that John described in the New Testament. Acts, the book of Acts. Luke names 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands, all without an error. All have been identified through archaeology. So the New Testament is incredibly accurate when it comes to archaeology. The second reason the Bible can be trusted, and, and it is absolute proof that this is the Word of God, is preservation and reliability. Preservation and reliability. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in 1947, uh, and, and it was a, that was a huge discovery. Up until that point, we had 5,000 manuscripts of the Scripture, now, 5,000 manuscripts, that's, that's basically like um, you writing me a happy birthday card 5,000 times, okay? And then we take 5,000 happy birthday tray cards that you've written and we compare them all. There may be slight differences in the cards, maybe a comma in this card, but not in the other 4,999 cards. Um, you know, slight variation, but when we combine the 5,000 manuscripts or, or copies of Happy Birthday, we know the intent and we know we can get a pretty accurate reading on what the card means, right, and what it says. Now, we had that with Scripture. We had 5,000 copyists. Now, keep in mind, the copyists were very intense with their job, you know, they, they actually believed that uh, Israel had been in captivity with Babylon because they had mishandled the word of God prior. So at this stage of the game, they were extremely intense. Every jot, every tittle, they were going to make sure that they copied it you know, word for word. So there were you know, some, some errors, very few errors. Um, but again, we had 5,000 copies. So 
the preservation, the fact that we had preserved 5,000 handwritten copies of Scripture through the ages was kind of a big deal, and we were able to compare them, compare them all. So that uh, provides incredible validity to Scripture. But in 1947, we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were dated a thousand years earlier. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were compared to these 5,000 manuscripts, there was only a 0.5% variance. So that's half a percent variance. And all of the variances were, you know, commas that were different, sentence structure that was different, nothing that impacted the meaning. Uh, by any by any means. So it, it meant the same. So the copy that we had a thousand years prior to the 5,000 copies that we had, when laid side by side, it was virtually the same thing. It had only 0.5% variance. This is, this is actually huge and means in scientific terms that the New Testament of our Bible is humanity's most reliable document. There is no other document on planet Earth that is more reliable than the New Testament, scientifically speaking, uh, not emotionally speaking, not philosophically speaking, scientifically speaking. And I'll break this down for you. You know, a few people doubt Plato's writing The Republic, written around 380 BC. The earliest copies that we have are dated at 900 AD, which is which is a 1,300-year time lag, right? If he wrote it in 380 BC, but the earliest manuscript or copy that we have is 900 AD, there's 1,300 years difference there from when he wrote it to the copies that we have. Um, but no one ever doubts that it was written by Plato. There are no scholars out there saying, oh, these, these copies are 1,300 years after it was written, so maybe Plato didn't write it. Maybe it's a forgery. Maybe it's a fake. No one does that. Uh, you can talk to any academic, and they know it was written by Plato. And there are only seven copies in existence today. We have 5,000 copies in existence of Scripture. Um, Caesar's Gaelic Wars, they were written about 100, 100 to 44 B.C. before Christ. And copies we have today are dated a thousand years after he wrote it. A thousand years after Caesar wrote Gaelic Wars, and we have ten copies of that. Not five thousand copies like we have of Scripture. Uh, the New Testament. The New Testament was written between 50 to 100 AD. Uh, there are more than five thousand copies, and all are written, all of those copies are written within 50 to 225 years of the original writing. So when I say that it's the most reliable document that humanity has, that's true. Scientifically speaking, they're the most well-preserved uh, in terms of variances and errors of sight than any other ancient manuscript that we have. On literary standards, scientific literary standards, the New Testament is quite honestly and literally the most reliable document that humanity has. The next, the next reason that we can trust and have proof that the Bible is God's Word is extra-biblical historians. Extra-biblical historians. Now, these are writers 
that did not write the Bible but wrote at the same time as the apostles. In other words, they were eyewitness accounts. So we have secular historians, secular writers, extra-biblical outside of the Bible, uh, writers that confirm everything that the Scripture is saying, right? Some people, you know, say Jesus is just made up. But honestly, that's just, that's just ignorance. That is the, quite honestly, the dumbest statement anyone could make is that Jesus is made up because two of the most credible first century historians back up the fact that Jesus existed and he was alive. So Josephus, who was a Jew, not a Christian, he, he didn't care if Jesus succeeded. He wasn't wanting Jesus to succeed. He wasn't a Christian. He didn't he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He wasn't a follower. He had no dog in the fight, basically. And he wrote, We learn that Jesus was a wise man who did surprising feats, taught many, won over many followers from among Jews and Greeks, was believed to be the Messiah, was accused by Jewish leaders, was condemned to be crucified by Pilate, and was considered to be resurrected. So this is from the mouth of Josephus, a Jewish or secular historian on the concept of was Jesus made up? Jesus was not made up. Then we had the Roman historian Tacitus. And Tacitus is the greatest historian of not only the first century, but may, maybe ever. He was writing between the years of 55, AD 55 to 120. He's not a Christian. He has nothing to gain by validating Jesus is a person that lived, but Tacitus wrote, Nero inflicted the most exquisite torture on a class called Christians. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. I've given you three reasons so far why the Bible can be trusted. We've talked about archaeology, We've talked about extra-biblical historians. We have talked about uh, preservation and reliability. And just so that you're aware, there is not another document on planet Earth that has had as much scholarly attention as the Bible. Professional attention and eyes. More eyes have been on the manuscript of the Bible than any other document that humans have ever created. Um, so that is pretty impressive in of itself. But I want to get to the fourth and maybe the most exciting reason that the Bible is absolutely the Word of God. It is 100% true. It's accurate. Um, and that is because of its prophetic record. Prophetic record. The Bible proves itself. Simply, for you can push everything else off the table. The Bible proves itself based on its prophetic record, the track record that it has in prophesying the future. There is no other book on the planet that foretells the future with such accuracy like the Bible. Before you go today, I want to encourage you to please get on board with the 30-day shred. It is life-changing. We did it last year. And the people that participated with us uh, thought it, it was life-changing for them as well. And so it is a big commitment. But listen, there should be absolutely no excuses. There is no reason 
why you can't devote the time. You can listen to it on audio. You can listen to it on one speed or 1.5 or two times the speed. There should be no reason at all why you can't accomplish this. You can uh, cook, you can listen to it while driving, you can listen to it while you're showering. Um, every book of the Bible that's on audio is maybe, it ranges from an hour to three hours. Uh, so it's a one to three hour daily commitment. Uh, but, but again, you can do other things. We're not asking you to sit down and, and look at your Bible for three hours. We're asking you to just have it playing in the background, to listen to it, get it in you. Um, so we have many resources for you. If you want to scan the QR code that's coming on the screen right now, uh, it'll take you to our page that will describe more about it. And if you get behind, you just pick it back up where you left off. You can listen to it on your Bible app. You can listen to it on YouTube. We have several different versions. Uh, there's a version that has music behind it. Then you can listen to one that is dramatized, so it has all the different voices, and the birds chirping and the lions roaring. It's, it's great. And you can speed it up, so you can listen to it at one time the speed that may take you an hour, two hours, three hours, or you can listen at two times the speed, so get it down to 15 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour and a half. What could have been three hours is now an hour and a half. Listen, there are, there are no excuses. There's no reason why you can't do this. So please, I'm asking you, I'm, I'm asking our church to come together corporately, collectively, as we study truth over trend in the coming weeks. Let's get through the entire Word of God together. God, I ask that you would be with your people this week as we dig more into the Word and we commit our hearts, our, our minds, our souls to knowing you, to the this beautiful self-disclosure that you've given to us. God, help us to know you more. God, help us to really prioritize the things that you value and see as important, those things that draw us closer to you, those things that draw us closer to one another, that, that allow us to live in community with one another, to be the church, the global church that you've called us to be. God, I know uh, that Jesus said in John 17, chapter 17, verse 4, uh, that he brings glory to the earth by fulfilling what you've called him to do. So God, I ask that you would allow us to bring glory to the earth as we do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We love you so much, church. We thank you for being here with us today. We'll see you next week.